This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. What's good, y'all? You are listening to Code Switch from NPR. I'm Gene Demby. So in September, Cardi B and Lizzo dropped a video for their new song together. It's called Rumors. All the rumors are true, yeah. What you heard, that's true, yeah. And the song is them joking about all the ways they're discussed on social media, by celebrity news sites, by gossip sites, and specifically... It's about the ways their bodies are discussed. Last year I thought I would lose it. Shit on the internet. My smoothie cleanse my diet. No, I ain't For Lizzo, that commentary tends to be around the fact that she's fat. For Cardi, the commentary is about being fake, and I'm doing air quotes, fake. And all the plastic surgery she's had done. All the rumors are true, yeah. Fake ass, fake booze, yeah. Made a million ass. So the video is this really like Grecian goddess, Mount Olympus sort of aesthetic. That voice right there that you're hearing, it belongs to Hannah Georges. She's a staff writer at The Atlantic. And, you know, Lizzo is decked out in gold. She's sort of styled herself as um, similar to like the the black singers in Hercules. (laughs) Um, And she's doing, you know, she's walking around. Cardi's there. She's wearing, you know, not much. Uh, she's got some gold paint on. Super pregnant. And they're both sort of trading quips, trading commentary, trading remarks about all of the ways that people have circulated rumors, commentary, um, you know, vitriol about them and, and their bodies. And so after that video dropped, more commentary about their bodies. The criticism got to be so much that Lizzo posted an Instagram live video in which she broke down. People say shit about me that just doesn't even make sense. It's fatphobic. And it's racist. And it's hurtful. If you don't like my music, cool. If you don't like rumors and song, cool. But a lot of people don't like me because of the way I look. All this reaction, all this scrutiny over Lizzo and Cardi's bodies made Hannah's antenna twitch. I think a lot about beauty as an instrument of power. Um, And I don't think it's a coincidence that Black women are continuously expected to prove via beauty, like their femininity, right? That 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 is part and parcel of living in a country in which gender is so deeply tied to race um, in which womanhood as a category has meant white womanhood. Hannah says, look, black women's bodies are treated as unruly, like inherently wrong, in need of taming or correcting. Over the last few decades, though, maybe owing to the cultural dominance of hip hop, there's been more space to celebrate or maybe the better word would be commodify a kind of idealized curvy physique as opposed to the kind of waifish ideal of the 80s and 90s that was associated with white ladies. These days, we love to talk about natural, real, thick black women as long as they have, like, a 26-inch waist. The thing is, that is a kind of body that, in reality, 
very few black women actually have. And even if you do have those proportions, Hannah says that might not be good enough. Cardi B, for example, actually does have what many people would consider that idealized body. At least, you know, before she was pregnant. And as you just heard, she's very open about the fact that it took a lot of cosmetic surgery to get that body, which elicits a very different kind of vitriol for Cardi, you know, for being fake. So if your body doesn't look like this very specific caricature of a black woman's idealized body, you get called out. And if you make your body look like that idealized black woman's body, you get called out. So what is it exactly that a black woman with a body is supposed to do? On the one hand, I think I understand people's impulse to say to women, like, ignore them. You know, you shouldn't be changing yourself to, to get men's attention, like, love yourself, etc. I understand all of that. And also, I think that there's something disingenuous about not seriously reckoning with the fact that, like, if you get messages, you know, your entire life, most of your life, during your formative years, etc., that say to be a woman, a Black woman, worthy of love, you have to look this way. It's not unreasonable that that would affect you. Which might explain why BBLs, or Brazilian butt lifts, are having a little bit of a moment right now. After the break, we're talking even more about Instagram, influencers, injections in the booty, and ideas about what makes a black woman's body real. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor Morgan Stanley. Inclusion is fuel for innovation. On Access and Opportunity, an award-winning show from Morgan Stanley, they take you inside the companies at the intersection of building equity for their communities and creating business solutions in overlooked areas of the market. From closing the women's sports pay gap to leveling the playing field in the music industry. Follow Access and Opportunity wherever you listen. This message comes from NPR sponsor Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit TeladocHealth.com slash What's Your Why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C Health slash What's Your Why. This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. That's 3% on products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Gene. There are election stories, and then there are the backstories. Every day on the Consider This podcast, we take a closer look at the biggest news story of the day and dig into the context behind the headlines. Get a better sense of what's happening and why it's happening in this election and across the nation. Listen to Consider This every day, wherever you get your podcasts. Just Gene for now. Code switch. So I'm talking to Hannah Georges of The Atlantic about her new essay, What Makes a Black Woman Real? And in it, Hannah is interrogating 
these pressures that black women, particularly young black women, are facing in the age of social media. And she does so by looking at the rise of one particular cosmetic surgery. It's a surgery that will be familiar to anybody who's been on Instagram or TikTok at all in the last couple of years. The Brazilian butt lift, or the BBL. So I, I write about, Cardi, Cardi talked um, back in, a, in 2018 in a GQ profile uh, about getting just like illegal butt injections. I was desperate to have a bigger ass. And then almost every girl was going to this lady that was getting the shots in Queens. And it's like, well, give me her number. She sort of said that she was too skinny to qualify um, for a BBL because the way that it works is like the, the sort of more official name is gluteal fat grafting. Um, and it's essentially a procedure in which fat gets suctioned from certain parts of the body. Oftentimes it'll be like stomach, back, thighs, um, and then purified and then injected back into the body, but into the hips and into the behind uh, to sort of create, enhance the sort of hourglass, uh, like Jessica Rabbit figure type uh, type thing. Mm -hmm. How common is this surgery? Um, Is it common or is it just hyper visible because of the algorithm the, the social media algorithm that seems to be like right. uh, shooting right. this this like physique this kind of physique <laughs> at us all the time right so i think that social media makes it seem more common than it is certainly but you know like 40,000 of them were performed last year mm-hmm. that's you know it's not it's not the most perf- the most frequently performed uh procedure but it is the one that's sort of seen the most rapid rise in popularity over the last several years mhm and so what people are going for, a lot of people are going for when they get BBLs, is a sort of Instagram influencer um, proportions. Can you just describe for people who have not seen that, what that body looks like? Yeah, sort of your classic dramatic hip to waist ratio. Um, but, you know, really exaggerated. Um, like a couple of the surgeons that I spoke with for this story said that it's still common for people to bring Kim Kardashian in as their reference picture, mm. which is really interesting to me um, because I think she's she's someone who's come under fire, got a lot of scrutiny, attention for um, having for people thinking that she's had a BBL, various procedures, what have you. Um, and so mm-hmm. it's interesting to me that people people bring in an image of a person who we sort of all know collectively is not giving us um, an unaltered image of herself when she posts online. So this is what's fascinating about the using Kim Kardashian as sort of a reference point um, is there's this weird sort of Ouroboros, like, where does this begin and end <laughs> when you talk about <laughs> right. Um, authenticity, right? Like, when, do you, I don't know if you remember, like, way back in the earlier parts of the Kim Kardashian discourse, like, around the Reggie Bush period, but maybe a little bit after that. Yes. A lot of people were talking about her trying to achieve a black woman's body, right? Right, right. Um, And there was, like, not enough interrogation of, like, what people meant by a black woman's body, like, as if, like, that was this, like, universally or, like, widely um, sort of shared right. set of, like, body dimensions, which, of course, it isn't. But also, like, it's interesting because your piece is so much about how it's young black women and women of color who are feeling the weight of stigmatization around getting this body, but they're also using Kim Kardashian as a reference point. So it's like, okay, so everyone is trying to achieve this body that is supposedly a natural black woman's body. At the same time, nobody involved in this process is, and I'm doing air quotes around natural, but like 
and right. I'm not judging that, but like, no, no one is like that is not their body. That, that's not what their bodies are like without modification. What do you make right. of that? And sir, well, it was. It's been really interesting to think about the fact that surgeons will say, you know, people come in with images that are so heavily photoshopped or, you know, so face tuned or what have you that they have to say, like, listen, these dimensions are not possible in nature. Like, this is not like this. This is not physiologically possible on a human being. So, like, let's start from a different place. Um, And I, you know, I am someone who did not grow up as like a young teen with social media or anything. And I so I really, really empathize with what it must feel like to contend with all of those images all the time, right? Mm-hmm. That like how distorted of a view you have regardless of wanting to, you know, of your own body, if that's what you're consuming all of the time, right? Like we had music videos and like magazines, sure, and TV and film and all of those things affect younger people's sense of self, all people's sense of self. Um, but it does feel really magnified in a way that's uniquely distorted or uniquely um distorted in ways that are accessible to the average person now. Mm-hmm. BBLs are expensive and a lot of people who want them get them by going to other countries. Maybe they go to a surgeon that's a little less than reputable, let's say. So part of the conversation around BBLs is that they can be real dangerous. So how is the fact that this is a surgery that we associate with black women, with the young black women? shipping how we talk about how safe it is right i think sometimes it can feel as though people who express concern about the the dangers of it um are doing so from a place less of concern and more of judgment um that can feel true in some of the tonal (laughs) the the tone that it, it can take um you know one one of the things that i thought a lot about as i was working on this is that there are so there there are tons of people who get plastic surgery who don't get discussed as examples of plastic surgery because you don't know, <laughs> because the average person doesn't look at them and know. And oftentimes those are people who have been able to access, you know, like more, um, more exclusive or more expensive surgeons or who have access to sort of social and like... Um, like commercial capital uh, and that affects the way that people interact with the idea of surgery or the idea of any kind of cosmetic procedure really. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you pointed this viral tweet that joked about that joke that was like, uh, you dying from a BBL is hilarious because you could have been alive with no butt, but look at you. Um, And it does sort of capture these two very different things happening around BBLs, which is like on one hand, people um, with BBL seem to be everywhere and held up as like this sort of ideal and like use the soul, sell all these products and they're all over popular culture. And the same time, the people who get them are the objects of ridicule. Like, what is that about? Well, I think it's that we as a culture don't like to see how women get to the image that we want them to, to get to, right? So it's one thing to insist that women look a certain way or to say that women are only valuable if they look a certain way. But as soon as we see that women have access to getting there or to quote unquote cheating their way to that, then people are uncomfortable because it sort of messes with um, their, (laughs) how they're able to assign value. Mm. I think that we, we live in a culture and a country and a society that is also uncomfortable with women's vanity in general. So, right, the idea that women would be altering themselves to look more beautiful um, 
is something that people have trouble with, even though we are all comfortable, you know, living in a world where women have to be beautiful to have value. Mm -hmm. So there's this, this, this weird sort of paradox, right? That like, you do need to be, you do need to be beautiful to be valuable, but we don't want to see all the trouble that you go to, to be beautiful. It's some of the stuff around, like, you know, men will say like, you got to take a woman swimming on your first date so that like you know if she's wearing a ton of makeup it'll come off and you'll see what she really looks like and it's like dude what Mm -hmm. (laughs) all of the pictures that you like on instagram of women are women who are wearing like layers of makeup even the (laughs) ones where you think that they're not so Mm -hmm. what are we really doing here uh what are you reacting to because it's not the actual aesthetic it's the idea that a woman might be deceiving you and gaining something from you um Mm -hmm. by using beauty which is something that you know women aren't supposed to use or to access or to wield but are instead supposed to have assigned to us yeah, straight cis men are such bad arbiters of, of how and when women are wearing makeup. Right. There will be all these pictures, you know, that men will post on Twitter or whatever. That'll be woman with a full face. And then, like, you know, the, the, the next picture is, like, her with no makeup on. They're like, this on Instagram, but this in real life. And I'm always amused by people responding, like, did you think that she had orange eyelids naturally? Like, <laughs> were you under the impression that, like, glitter was on her lips when she was born? <laughs> <laughs> Someone should look into that if that's the case. Um, right. But what you just said about the sort of cheating thing is something we sort of like had a long discussion about, right? Because the cheating conversation, right, like is the idea that you would that people are doing body modification, which which is what fitness and like bodybuilding and all sorts of stuff is, right? right. Um, right. It's seen as like legitimate, right? Because it's work, right? Um, right. And you can sort of interrogate the, like the capitalist undertones of that, right? But it's like work, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. And cosmetic surgery is cheating. It's sort of like part of this like larger American discourse. But also, you can see it show up in a lot of these like Instagram influencers' actual pictures. It's like they clearly have modified bodies, and they're also right. very much like they're often posing in gyms, right? It's like the thing they're trying to convey is that they have actually worked, worked. I'm doing air quotes here to achieve right. the bodies they have because they need to underline that they're legitimate, right? Um, and it's just right. sort of weird, I guess, go back to this question about, like, the way we think about authenticity and realness. Are those even useful notions in this discussion around beauty? I don't think that they're fair, um, right? I mean, that they're, they're, we can, I think we can have ethical questions and considerations like for example with influencers who've had surgery posing in gyms or like selling fitness routines with the idea that if you know you subscriber use that routine that you will have their body that to me is like an ethical consideration um, much more than one about like whether the beauty is real or authentic Mm -hmm. right um but authentic i mean people have been saying that women and especially black women are not like quote unquote real for any number of reasons forever, right? Like, God forbid you have, you know, a weave. God forbid your hair is blonde. Like, God forbid you've relaxed your hair. Like, there are all of these things that, like, women can't do without signifying that, like, they're not real. Um, mm. And I think that, that that is sort of an impossible burden. Mm-hmm. Is, is beauty always necessarily, like, a sort of acquiescence to, like, dominant arrangements of power? Ooh. Like, is it about accessing those arrangements of power or is it about um, subverting them and upending them? Can it ever be? I think it's really hard for beauty to exist outside of and separate from power because so much of how beauty has operated 
in this country especially has been as a as has been as a mechanism of control right that we have laws that um that governed how black women could wear their hair right that that mm-hmm. to me is like i don't know that we can we can live in a country where that is our legacy and move toward a place where beauty can be value neutral where it can be sort of revolutionary i struggle with that um and i know there are people who feel very differently and who've sort of made inroads in certain in certain ways um Mm -hmm. i think one way of answering that question or one way of at least thinking through that question for me has been thinking about how often what we see as beauty trends that are subversive that are seen initially as maybe um like tacky or uh inappropriate or what have you how often those trends which later of course go on to become if not dominant beauty standards and at least like generally celebrated um how often those kinds of things are are signifiers are aesthetic traditions are um innovations that come from or that are conceived of by trans women in particular and like black trans women low-income trans women um who whose relationship to femininity is different from but tied to um cis women's Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a I don't think it's a coincidence that black women are continuously expected to prove via beauty like their femininity, right? That that is that is part and parcel of living in a country in which gender is so deeply tied to race, um, in which womanhood as a category has meant white womanhood, right? And that that mm-hmm. that has implications for for black cis women as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, these conversations about BBLs, right, and which are which are actually about you know beauty and power and capitalism and all these things that you're talking about, are often happening in black spaces among black people. And one of the things that's sort of chewy about the those conversations is like, like whiteness is not the moral ideal that people are striving for necessarily, right? Right. Like, it's right. Like, right. It might like there's sort of the shadow, the shadowy specter of whiteness and capitalism in the in the corner, but it's not like this. These are all black folks pointing to black folks, Kim Kardashian, notwithstanding, pointing to other black folks as <laughs> as sort of the templates, right? Um, um, and even Kim Kardashian is, you know, again supposedly pointing to some mythologized ideal black woman's figure, right? right? Like there's. All of these ideas about black women's figures and, and bodies that live in black people that is part of this discourse. Yeah, I, well, I think what can be a side effect of people understandably critiquing somebody like Kim Kardashian for, you know, seek for clearly seeking a proximity to blackness and like mm-hmm. black visual cultures and, and cultural expressions. Um, what can happen sometimes when people do that and sort of emphasize that she is trying to look, you know, quote unquote, like a black woman, is that we sort of repeat and cement um, views about what it is a black woman looks like, right? Like that they're, that because, you know, if she's seeking this, uh, this aesthetic, it suggests that she wants to be, not be, but look like a black woman, then that means to look like a black woman is to, you know, have a certain hip to waist ratio, right? And I think sometimes what can feel like a defensive negotiation with with whiteness can show up sort of intracommunally as as policing 
what a real black aesthetic, what a real black body, et cetera, really looks like. Hmm. Like in some ways this all this reminds me of like the really, really messed up discourse of like and I think we've moved away from this, <laughs> thankfully. Uh but I feel like there was a while, a couple of years there, where it was like a, a pretty big internet thing for black straight men to either post pictures with or videos of or whatever white women who, you know, were like sick or whatever. Uh, and <laughs> sort of, right. And was, was commentary like, oh, like white girls are winning. We don't even need y'all anymore. All that sort of like ugly vitriolic stuff that suggests or sort of explicitly says that like black women are only valuable because of their bodies, because of a specific, um, a specific bodily asset, right. That like we've moved a little bit away from that. And also, so much of so much of what to me feels like policing or rigid rigid or um limiting is what happens when black women's bodies are filtered through the gaze the desires the wishes the wants the the needs and desire for control of straight black men hmm um you mentioned kind of an aside that there was some stuff you wanted to get into that you didn't get into in this piece. And I'm curious about what did not make it in because I thought this piece was really fascinating. And also, like, literally, like, the one of like some of those elemental things we do is around self-presentation. And that stuff is, like, so loaded with all of this structural stuff, totally. right, that is often easy to wave away. Right. We also, like, all want to think that we're individuals and our, our decisions are coming from just us, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. And that, that there's something <laughs> seductive about that, mm-hmm. right? That like when I get dressed in the morning, when I choose how I'm going to show up in the world, I'm doing it to express my sense of style. And yes, but also I don't, you know, none of us live in a vacuum. Um, but some of the stuff that I was thinking about uh, is that a BBL is, is a kind of body contouring procedure, right? Um, but there are a lot of, a lot of trans women seeking gender affirming surgery get these kinds of surgeries as part of that, right? Like when people talk about gender affirmation surgeries, um, what often what they're referring to is either sort of top surgery or bottom surgery. Mm-hmm. And the people access those or people seek those out. And that's true. But that we are so, as a culture, um, insistent upon women having certain proportions and certain curves and certain sort of... Um, bbl body-esque looks that that also affects how people police gender presentation um among folks who are trans gender non-conforming etc and I, I wanted to spend a little bit more time sort of talking with folks about what what that looks and feels like um like there are people who will seek out body contouring but who don't necessarily want bottom surgery mm-hmm. and like what is it about um, having sort of the, that hip to waist ratio that feels for some people more affirming um, than other kinds of surgery. So we just spent a little bit of time talking about the way this plays out in the lives of some of the people who have had their bodies modified and who are very visible, like celebrities and inf- uh, Instagram influencers and people like that. But what what are the implications of this kind of body modification for the people who are consuming these images, like the the people who are scrolling on Instagram, you know, like absentmindedly. Right. I think it's hard to separate um, the effects of images of women who've had 
surgery or, or procedures done from kind of the broader uh, landscape of, you know, altered images that circulate online. I think that in general that though, like photoshopped, facetuned, altered, however, whether the image or the person, often both, um, those kinds of images like have incredibly detrimental effects on, on young people in particular. There's been, you know, so many studies about how social media affects teens and especially teen girls' mental health. Um, there was a pretty recent one about how Facebook in particular has known that its platform, including Instagram, um, has been detrimental to people's mental health and just to sort of, you know, kind of thrown their hands up and been like, well, it is what it is. Um, and that's something that came up a lot in my conversations with therapists who see um who see a lot of women, who see young black women, who talk with um, clients about like body dysmorphia, about sort of body dissatisfaction, that social media tends to be a pretty consistent through line. And that, again, it's it's not as simple as saying, well, like log off. Um, and that often the remedies that people who don't experience this themselves suggest to girls and young women are quite condescending or sort of don't capture the root of the issue, um, which is that you can't, unplug from all of life um all of the inputs that come in in this way and that women or or young girls should be able to have uh access to community and to expressing themselves online and you know in in the real world in the non-digital world without having to consistently be brought down um by by images that are designed to be false and yet you know, take on a sort of reality of their own. Hannah Georges is a staff writer at The Atlantic. We've been talking about her article, What Makes a Black Woman Real, which y'all should check out. Hannah, thank you for taking time out of your very busy schedule to rock with us. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me. All right, y'all. That's our show. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at NPR Code Switch. We're on IG at NPR Code Switch. Email is Moya Bag. Ours is codeswitch at npr.org. And subscribe to the podcast on NPR One or wherever it is you get your podcast. This episode was produced by Leah Danella and Jess Kung. It was edited by Leah. Shout out to the rest of the Code Switch Massive. Karen Grigsby Bates, Kumar Devarajan, Alyssa Jong Perry, Sam Yellowhorse Kessler, Christina Kala, and Steve Drummond. Our art director is L.A. Johnson. I'm Gene Demby. Be easy, y'all. A special thanks to our funder, the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, for helping to support this podcast. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Capella University. With Capella's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. The past is shrouded in mystery. To understand it, you have to get up close. Something happened to our collective psyche after the atom bomb. On NPR's Throughline, we reopen stories from the past to find clues to the present. Find Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.